All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Authors Unite show. Um, today, I have a special guest with us, Laura Gassner-Odding. Welcome to the show. Hey, glad to be here. Awesome. Uh, glad to have you here. Can you just start us off, tell us a little bit more about you and what you do? Yeah. So um, my name is Laura Gassner-Odding, and I get people unstuck. Oh, I like it. Okay. And this is related to your, your most recent book. Is this your first book or? So it's actually my second book. I spent oh, cool. 20 years doing executive search uh, on behalf of nonprofit organizations, um, universities, foundations, advocacy organizations, direct service organizations. And I placed people from every different, uh, every different sector, corporate, nonprofit, uh, and, and, uh, and, for, and, and the public sector. Uh, I always, my company was a for-profit company. So my first book uh, was actually about going from uh, corporate work to nonprofit work, making that transition. And when I sold my company to my team four years ago, and I started speaking about the things that I learned about leadership and you know what makes people actually successful and happy, I found that I was really being labeled as like the nonprofit girl because I had this book about going from corporate to nonprofit work. And so I really wanted to write a book that was about people from every sector. So my first book is called Mission Driven, going from, um, from uh, profit to purpose. And this new book, which is what brought me here today, is Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path, and Live Your Best Life. Got it. Okay, awesome. So first, I, I want to talk about your kind of structure for writing the book, because a lot of our listen uh, listeners are aspiring authors. So when you wrote uh, Limitless, and actually, if you want to talk about your first book as well, just how do you go about sitting down and being like, okay, here, like mapping it out? Like what's your full process from start to final manuscript? So it's actually a funny question because my first book, Mission Driven, was really a guidebook. It was a, it's a how-to manual about how to change your career. And it, so it very much follows that guidebook format. Chapter one, problem, solution. Chapter two, problem, solution. Chapter three, problem, solution. And that was fine for a book about that's actually tactical, about how to change your career. When I sat down to write this book, it was originally also going to be part of a guidebook series. I, I, so, so, here's, so here's the story. I sell my company. I get asked to do a TEDx. That TEDx gets some attention. In the midst of the, the, the being hired to go speak and getting paid money to go speak, and I was like, wait, this is a job? Like People actually do this for a living? Tell me more about this new job where I get on stage for 45 minutes and I speak and you pay me money and then I leave and I don't have any homework. Um, I started noticing that when I was getting paid 10 and 12 and then 15000 to speak, the other people on the stage with me, the other people on the agenda all had books and not just like soft cover how-to books, but like real idea books, big idea books. So I called some friends of mine and they, and I said, you know, I want to write this book. And they all said, no, 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 you don't need to write a book. You have 20 years of interviewing thousands of leaders across every sector. That's your book. You have tons of credibility. And I said, yeah, but I'm a chick, right? And I just... As, as, as big of a feminist as I am, I still feel like you just, you have to have a couple extra letters behind your name. You have to have that book. You just have to have additional credibility markers. So I called, I got connected to, um, to Rohit Bhargava, who runs Idea Press Publishing, which is a hybrid publisher. And I said, I want to write this book about confidence. I've been speaking about how we solve big problems and how we find our voice of leadership and how do we do this? And he said, yeah, that sounds really interesting. You should do that. But before you do that, 
your book mission driven is, you know, the publisher who did it is, is, is dead and gone now. And maybe you could take that book and condense it to like 20,000 words, coffee with an expert as part of a series we're doing called the non-obvious series. And it could be the non-obvious guide to purpose doing work that matters. And I kind of went, well, I don't don't really want to do this. I've already written that book. I'm not that interested. And he said, yeah, but you'll get it out into, into the world again, and then you'll have a book and then you'll be able to do the next one and we'll do your next book and it'll be great. So he kind of convinced me to do it. I figured it would take a few weeks. It wouldn't be that big of a deal. And then I got to work on that. And as I got to work on that, I realized that, you know, again, I'm writing this guidebook, problem, solution, problem, solution, problem, solution. And I'm starting to kind of fight with the editor because it, the truth is, is that I'm writing this book about how do you find purpose in your life? And it's a kind of a bigger idea than a guidebook allows it to be. And so I called him up after going back and forth for like three weeks with this editor. And I said, I don't think I'm the author for you. I think you should fire me. And he said, <laughs> I agree. And I went, wait, what? <laughs> I kind of expected him to fight back. And he said, but... The truth is, I think there's a bigger idea here and you should write it as a big idea book that comes out in the spring and hardback when big idea books come out. And I said, wait, what? (laughs) And so I immediately hang up the phone and I texted my good friend, Clay A. Bear, who I think we have in common. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh my God, what the F do I do now? And he said- (laughs) you call me. So I called him up and I said, what am I going to do? And I was literally, I was, I was, I was at the National Speakers Association annual conference out in, in, uh, in Dallas. And I walked out of the, out of the session I was in and I sat down on the, on the floor um, of, the, of, of the conference of the hotel hallway. And I said, what am I going to do? And we spent 45 minutes going back and forth with this, you know, him, like with a Google doc open in front of us. And, um, and I think he was like sitting at the pool at um, Tucker Max's house at the time. And we're sort of going back and forth. And, and uh, he says, finally, he goes, what do you want people to feel like after they finished reading this book? And I said, you know, Clay, I'm just I'm so sick of everyone being so limited by everybody else's idea of what they can do and who they can be and God forbid what they can't do. And I just want them to just forget everybody else and just go do what they want to do and be happy already. And he said, so you want them to be limitless. You want them to ignore everybody, carve their own path and live their best life. And I said, oh my God, Clay, I love you. <laughs> And I don't talk to you nearly enough, but I need to hang up the phone right the hell now and go write this book. And Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path and Live Your Best Life literally poured out of me six weeks later. Like that was it. And I think the idea, and this is, I think the, 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 the nugget answer to your question for your aspiring readers, and this is a meta moment about my book, right, which is all about eschewing everybody else's ideas of what success should be and finding your own leaning into that, is that if you're writing a book for somebody else's idea of what the book should be, if you're writing a book to seem smart and to look impressive or to be, to fit into, you know, your square peg into a round hole, it's not going to have resonance. You will write it, you will print it, it'll sell six copies, five of which will be to your mom. And, (laughs) and at the end of the day, it's not going to, it's not going to go viral. It's not going to take off. It's not going to stick because it's going to sound like every other book out there. And so my advice to Anybody who is aspiring to write a book is twofold. Number one, 
figure out why you want to write the book right is it to establish credibility is it to explore an idea is it to um is it to to, to be part of a community that you're not in already is it to you know sell from the back of the room is it to you know is it to get speaking gigs like why are you writing the book number number one and then number two write for that purpose don't just write a book because you feel like you have to write a book because it just ends up being 40 or 60 or 80,000 words of word vomit on a page that goes nowhere. Mm -hmm. I, I love that story. That is amazing. So I want to talk about the, some of the stories in the book, but uh, first I want to keep kind of going down this strategic path um, just because I think it's going to help a lot of our listeners who either are aspiring authors or already authors and they really want to take it to the next level like you have. So I saw too that you've been on uh, GMA and you've gotten some other big media. What is your, I guess, do you have any tips on that on like how you're able to get on like GMA? I mean, that's the pretty, pretty much in my mind, the biggest um, television like news show. So yeah, what kind of process or steps do you do to uh, make your book appealing to those type of networks? So I think that there are several things. I mean, I hired a publicist, right? I hired okay. a publicist and um, they got me in front of uh, the Today Show and I got myself in front of, uh, in front of Robin Roberts. But I don't think that if Robin Roberts would have handed my book to her producer, Good Morning America, they would have been like, yeah, definitely. And they hadn't done research and saw me on the Today Show already. So I think yeah. it was, you know, I, I had established some sort of, some sort of credibility. So I think there's several things. I think the book has a super sassy title, right? So it's, you know, it, it certainly is effective. Um, I was able to sort of climb from one blurb to the next blurb to the next blurb and ended up with Amy Cuddy as a blurb on my, on my front of the book that, you know, calls it a, a, a counterintuitive, fast-moving kick in the pants, right? That's pretty <laughs> exciting. Um, yeah. And it's not a typical, like, orange block letter Harvard Business Review-looking business book. I actually thought I wrote a business book and it turns out I wrote a self-help book and I didn't realize that. So I started marketing in all the wrong ways. And, and when my publicist sent the, um, the books to the Today Show and sent the, the press release to the Today Show, the producer who called me said, I saw Amy Cuddy blurbed your book. We love her. So I wanted to take a closer look at it, right? So I think, you know, people say, oh, don't worry about blurbs. Blurbs don't sell books, but blurbs do sell media, right? Blurbs, absolutely, because we're, we're all way too busy. And so if the media can say, oh, this name who I know and respect has, you know, had a powerful thing to say about this book, then it becomes effective. So, you know, Got people it. may or may not buy it because they see a name on a book, but the media certainly will. So I think that... Um, was one of the things. I think it's bright. It's like, it, it just looks unusual. So I think the title, the, 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 the way that it looks so unusual. Um, and I think, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I think it's a pretty good book, right? It's, it's, it's pretty readable. And that's because I've had people in my corner who basically didn't let, let me settle for mediocrity and, and kicked my ass. And I can tell that story also <laughs> later if you want. Um, yeah. So I think there are a lot of things that went into the book being special. Um, but then, you know, if you're out and you're on the circuit and you're speaking, you know, I spoke, in, I spoke at this event in Canada called the Art of Women's Leadership. And there were five speakers on each of the days and it's in front of 3,500, you know, women uh, in Calgary, Toronto and Vancouver. And there were five of us. Um, amazing speakers like Tiffany um, Bova, um, uh, Tasha Yurik, uh, Tiffany Dufu, Malala, right? So I'm on stage with four other speakers, including Malala, 
that's insane. Yeah. So, you know, when you're posting selfies with Malala and your book is debuting at number two on the Washington Post bestseller list behind Michelle Obama, suddenly, you know, people start paying attention. But here's the trick. At that event, I was the fourth of five speakers each time. The third event was um, Malala couldn't come because she had to go, you know, take finals because, <laughs> you know, she's 20. <laughs> um, and so instead of her, Robin Roberts was the speaker. And for the two prior events, they had been running like seven or eight minutes behind. And rather than being a diva and saying like, well, I have a 45 minute talk, I have to get out there and give a 45 minute talk. As I was getting on stage, I turned to the MC and I said, hey, it looks like you're running eight minutes behind you want me to go 37 minutes and give you back your eight minutes? I'm totally, totally cool to do that. He was like, you would do that? Really? Seriously? Like no speakers ever offer to give back time, but I didn't, I didn't really care. It didn't matter to me. Like I'm not the star. The event is the star. So by the third event, when they were running a little bit late again, I said, I got off stage and I had been easy to work with. So I turned to the MC and I was like, oh man, I can't believe I'm going to miss Robin Roberts because I got to go to the airport because I think she'd really like my book and ha ha ha, I should be on Good Morning America. And he said, you should be. And he reaches down to the stack of books. He picks out one of mine, hands it to me and he says, here, sign this for her, personalize it, make it really good and I'll make sure she gets it. So I did, and he did, and she reads it on the plane on the way home and then tweets about it and puts it on Instagram and Facebook to like a com combination of like her 5 million viewers and then gets back to New York City in the studio and hands it to her senior producer and says, here, book her. Yep. So See, I love it, yeah. So how do you get on these shows? You get on these shows by being a relentless advocate for yourself, but also being the kind of person other people want to help. Yeah. And, and relationships. And, and two, I think one of the biggest takeaways so far from this as well is like, there's, okay. So I'm going to try to word this the right way is it's like, I do believe writing a book for, as a business card is good, but it should also be a book that you love. Like you don't want to just like get a book out there just for the business card aspect. Right. Cause that's, that's kind of a thing that I hear often. And what I always say to that is like, yes, it's going to help you from a branding perspective, but it has to be a book like yours, this, that you can tell from talking to you that you are unbelievably proud of. So it's very easy for you to speak to people about it, you know, and people can feel energetically like, yo, she didn't just like whoop this book together to just for, for brand. Like, that's not like, this is a book you believe in. Like you would scream about it from the mountaintops, you know, and it, people can yeah. feel that. So it's true. Yeah, it's true. And, and, and honestly, when you get to a certain point in your career, when you're on the speaking circuit or you're, you know, people you've written and you've done enough writing, whatever, everyone has a book. Like, it's not that it's, it's yeah. actually, it's funny because when, when I, when I get on stage, people introduce me and they're like, she worked as a political appointee in the white house and she started her own business and she's, you know, run three marathons and she's, you know, written two books. And I swear more people are impressed by the marathons and the books than the starting my own, like starting my own and selling a successful business and working in the white house. Like, frankly, those two things are much harder, yeah. <laughs> but people think people have this overwhelming idea. Like, Oh my God, I could never write a book. And it's like, yeah, you can, if you can write a sentence, you can write a book. Cause what's a book. It's just a whole bunch of sentences. What's yeah. harder. It's like, you know, I am, I'm a pretty fast writer. Like, as I said, I wrote this book in six weeks, but it took me 25 years and six weeks to come up with it, right? Like I'm a really slow thinker. I walk around the house and I look at the, I look at the sofa from the living room window. I look at the refrigerator from the kitchen window. I look at, you know, the bed from the, from the, from the bedroom window. 
and I, I know what the whole house looks like, but I can't find my way in. And then as soon as I find the front door, I like run through like thing one and thing two because I figured it out. Like I found the front door, I found the hook. But for me, it's really, it's, it, you know, this book really came out of a sort of a life force manifesto that I have. It just took me a long time to find the hook to make it understandable and accessible for everybody in every walk of life to be able to read. Got it. And then, so I want to now, can you, can you uh, tell us a little bit more about like public speaking from leveraging your book? So did, do you have somebody that you hired to help with that? Or are you in speaker bureaus? Cause again, I know like a lot of the people we work with, that's one of the things that they really want to do is use the book as a tool to get more speaking engagements. And obviously you've been very successful with that. So is there a process with that? Is it more relationship based? Is it like a snowball thing where you got your first couple gigs and now it's just kind of like people are reaching out to you? Um, what's kind of the story behind that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really relationship-based. I mean, the reason I spoke at the Art of Women's Leadership is because my friend Mitch Joel uh, called me up a year earlier and said, hey, what are you doing two days from now? Um, I am, my, my company is... Um, my company is a corporate sponsor for the Art of Leadership in Montreal, and Joe Biden is the, um, you know, is the keynote speaker, and I, I can bring a couple of people backstage to hang out with him. And I know you're into politics. Do you want to come up? And I was mm -hmm. like, well... Um, I guess I don't really have much going on two days from now. I've got a board meeting I could just call into. I've got to like write a bunch of stuff. I can do that from anywhere. Uh, sure. I live in Boston. So, you know, it's like a, you know, hour and a half flight. It's, it's, it's pretty close and, and, and not that expensive. So he's like, great, here are the flights you should book. <laughs> he's like, this will get you there in time. So I go thinking we're just going to hang out. It's going to be me, Mitch and Joe. It's going to have, a, we're going to have a good time. Little do I know, Mitch has this plan where he wants to introduce me to the guy who's organizing the entire conference because he knows that I'm working on this book and that it's going to come out in a year. So because I had, you know, a, 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 a champion like Mitch who made the introduction, then it was up to me over the course of the next year to really, um, to really develop that relationship and to be useful to them and to let people know about their upcoming conferences and to send them, you know, columns that they could, that they could publish and to make sure that they had copies of the book. And then the book comes out, they ask me if I'm, if I, if I could, uh, if I could go and speak, there's um, three events. They want to pre-buy 500 books for each of the events, which I then do through Barnes and Noble because you know you get you get that special little deal, and they put you in the window, and then suddenly I'm on the Washington Post bestseller list, and I'm you know because of that, and and I'm I'm profiled in the windows of Barnes and Noble Times Square and Union Square and Copley Place, and so it all kind of snowballs around. But that's just one example of that started with a relationship. Yeah, I love this interview more and more because I think uh, that in my life, I, I can just say it's the same thing. Like just I build these relationships with no expectations. Like what you said, I think you said that his name was Mitch Joel. Like yes. when you first were talking to him, like it probably wasn't in your mind like, oh, a year from now or whatever, I'll be backstage with Joe Biden. Like it was just building a relationship, right? And then um, sometimes these things turn into business and sometimes they don't, but Overall, I just think like that openness and curiosity of connecting with as many people as possible, really, um, it just, it always seems to lead to things just randomly, you know? 
Um, just like Absolutely. this interview right here, me interviewing you on this show actually came from a connection. <laughs> you Absolutely. Know? And so. I, think, I think if you go into relationships with people expecting something out of it, number one, you're going to be super disappointed. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, but number two, you'll probably undershoot its potential, right? Like the first time I met Clay Bear, I had no expectation that he was going to become such a good friend and he was going to be the person who renamed the book from The Non-Obvious Guide to Purpose Doing Work That Matters to Limitless. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like I had no idea. And you know, Clay does this for a living. He charges a lot of money to do brilliant things like this. And because we're friends, we just I just I sent up a, like a lifeline, and he he flagged it and and helped me out. Um, there are so many people along the way that I never expected anything like like what has come out of this. And and I have done the same for them. You know, my when when the book came out, we started the um, the presale six weeks before the book came out on April 2nd, and we started the pre-sale six weeks earlier, which was February 15, which happens to be my birthday. And so I had my film crew um, doing these, uh, like we were trying, trying desperately to do one of those promo videos where I was like, hi, we're gonna do a pre-sale and please buy my book and pre-sales matter for all these reasons. And I hated it. Like I'm so good at showing up for other people, but I hate doing it for myself. Like the self-promotion thing is so, it just feels, gross. Um, so yeah. we, 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 we probably did like 40 takes of me trying to do this. And I just, and this, this film crew's film me do tons of, um, they film me do tons of stuff in the past. So they know that I, I, I can do it, but for whatever reason, I just, I just couldn't get my act together. And so finally, after like the 40th, 40th take, the, the, the um, camera guy, Jonas said, Laura, just do a super goofy one and get it out of your system and then we'll do it for real. And I was like, fine. So he presses record and I just start singing happy birthday to me. And like, I just start singing. I was like, happy birthday to me. It's my birthday, buy my book. It's my birthday. You know, I was like so goofy. And I was like, if you buy my book, here it is. And I'll love you forever. And I gave it like this big cheesy wink into the camera. And then, um, and then I, you see me go, oh my God, tell me you got that one. And, he, and, and that's where it ends. And then he starts packing up his camera. And I was like, no, dude, we got to do a serious one now. And he's like, no, 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 no. That was perfect. So that's the one that we posted. And it was me being so goofy and just like, I'm so uncomfortable doing this, but please, 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 please. I have one shot at this and I really want to do it. And people showed up for me. Like, I couldn't believe it. Like, it, you know, the book launches at, you know, at number one, you know, Amazon, you know, all these, you know, super, super great um, accolades. And my publicist said, we need to know how you did this with your street team because we've never seen an author mobilize so many people. And the truth is, it, I just asked people to show up and I think they did because I spent the last 40 years showing up for them. And so I think, it, you know, if you're going into this with this like transactional mindset, it's going to feel just like if you write a book because you want to, you know, have a book, it's going to feel transactional. But if you do a thing that comes from your core, if you t write a book because you can't not write the book, and if, you, and if you ask for people to show up for you in a way that you've shown up for them, that's a combination for absolute success. So, so true. And it's that transactional it, it, that's the biggest difference, right? Is it's like when you can remove the transactional, like I put in five hours of work, I deserve this much money back or this much value back and just keep like living from your heart or your core. I think, I think we're kind of speaking of the same thing there. Um, 
and just doing the things that, you know, you got to help yourself, but also help others and just living from that core. It's just funny the way the universe works. Like there are just things that'll just happen. Right. And it's not necessarily planned. It's just from you continuously every day, waking up, doing the right thing. Um, things do come back around. It's, I think it's just the natural ways of the universe and life is more abundant that way, even though you don't get the, whatever, I guess, ROI immediately, if you can just, just remove that from your head. Cause it's that, it's kind of like that employee mindset of like hourly work or something. Like if you can remove that and just get out there, build relationships, do the right thing, live from your heart, just all those things just start to happen. They, they really do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, and if you spend time keeping score, like I did this for this person, they didn't do this for me. Like, yeah. I mean, you, you, you just, you basically, you will have your heart broken nonstop. You'll, it's <laughs> just, and it's short. so sad and life is too short. And all that time that you're spending keeping score, you're not spending actually, you know, out there as the proselytizer, as you know, as the, 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 as, as the, as the person, as you are your very best message for your book. So, you know, you can't count on everyone else. You have to get out there and do it yourself. Mm -hmm. So uh, I appreciate this has been amazing. I'm sure all our listeners are loving this right now. So now I want to shift more to the content in the book and some of the stories, because I think um, some of the books that have done the best, I think are, are very story based. And I, I think it's been proven actually many people like Seth Godin talk about this. Um, stories are what people want to hear at the end of the day. Anyway, like we all love to hear stories. So I know there's over a dozen, um, in the book. Um, but do you want to share maybe a couple, like if you have one, that's your favorite. Um, I know that there's one that I'd like to hear about is captain Josh, uh, Nance. I want to hear about that story. So whatever ones you feel compelled, I just think it'd be cool to, to get some stories from the book. Yeah. So, um, uh, so just a, a very quick overview because I'm sure people are like, what is this book even about? No, no, no. I'm so, so, so for 20 years, I interviewed people, um, who were at the very top of their game, right? I was a headhunter and I was hired by organizations to play C-suite executives. So I hire, I was interviewing only people who were super successful at the top of their game. And that's why I was talking to them they were all talking to me because they weren't that happy and they actually were looking, they were, they were looking for another job. And I was fascinated about that dichotomy, the fact that people were successful, but not happy because I was told, as I'm sure you were told and all your listeners were told that if you just follow this path and check off these boxes and do all the right things and get all the gold stars, you will find success and you will be happy. And so many of us do that. And then we look around, usually picking our head up from our cubicle going, is this really all there is? Like, I'm eh. It's not so great. And so what I found is that in interviewing these thousands of people, there were a handful of people and myself with very specific decisions that I made along the way when I had these sort of cubicle moments of rage where I, 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 I had to do something else and change jobs and start my own business and, and completely change my path to drop out of law school, all the things that I did, where I, I realized that there was a different thing that happens. It's not success as defined by every other person in your life or social media or anything else, but it's really success is defined by you. So what makes up your own success is this combination of finding a calling, having connection through your work to that calling, having that work contribute to your life in some way that's meaningful to you and feeling like you have some sort of control over it. And that is really makes up the backbone of the book through this, this, this um, thing that I call consonants, right? This alignment, this flow of when the what you do matches the who you are. So it was very hard for me to figure out 
how to start the book, right? I have over a dozen stories, but how do you start the book? Because you can't start the book with a story where people go, yeah, but that's just because they're this person or yeah, but that's not really me or I'm really in this kind of line of work. So I started the book with a guy who died because if you've died and come back to life, and you still don't know the meaning of life and what's going to make you happy. That's kind of an unimpeachable source. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I figured that was a showstopper. So I met Captain uh, Josh Mance when he and I were both speaking at uh, the U.S. Army Camp Zama in Japan. We had both volunteered to go speak as part of American Dream U, which is a nonprofit that works with the Transition Assistance Program of the military, helping um, uh, uh, active service uh, men and women transition out of the military into civilian life by finding finding jobs. And they called me up and they invited me to speak. And the guy gave me the rundown of all the people who were speaking, which was like me, uh, this is a, a woman vet who works with homeless women vets, uh, the COO of Starbucks Asia, and then Josh Mance, who was shot and killed on the, on, on the field um, in Baghdad and came back to life. And he gave me the rundown and I was supposed to speak last. And I was like, dude, I mean, I'm a pretty good speaker, but I can't follow the dead guy, okay? Like, right. you, can't, ha- you can't, he has to go last. Like, I can't follow the dead guy. So I met Josh there and I got to know him. And Josh's story is that he had always only wanted to be in the military. The only job he ever, he ever sought, he ever wanted, he ever loved. And he goes to West Point and he's just in this incredible meteoric rise. And then he's on a, um, uh, they're, they're um, you know, walking around Baghdad doing um, uh, surveillance and he gets shot uh, by a sniper. Actually, the bullet pierces through the chest cavity of uh, Marlon Harper, his best friend, and then through his chest cavity into Josh's um, femoral artery in his thigh. Wow. And Josh crumples to the ground. He is feeling basically all of the, all of the, um, all the blood pulling in his chest cavity, pulling in his stomach as the bodies want to do as it's making its last ditch effort to save itself. And he's thinking about his mother and his sisters and he takes his last breath and he dies. And medics work on him for 15 full minutes, which is like twice as long as they're supposed to. They're supposed to call time of death seven minutes earlier. They work for 15 full minutes and slowly his pulse returns. And that's cr- crazy miracle. But what's even more miraculous is that his brain capacity also returns fully intact. And so he goes through this arduous recovery where he has to like literally teach himself how to walk again. And once he's done that, he sets himself back on his army career and he goes at it with such a pace um, that he gives himself a Crohn's disease flare up that nearly kills him a second time. And he basically is told, you're going to die like for real this time if you don't step back. And so, you know, not one to do things halfway, he steps all the way back and he leaves the military. But he joins, what else? The fastest growing private sector company in the world, Tesla, because the pace feels like combat. The, the, the mission is world domination. The founder's vision is, 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 is unwavering, and it feels like very familiar territory to him. And so he's there, and he's doing all of these. Um, he's building all these incredible employee enrichment uh, and, and culture programs, uh, leadership development programs, but he keeps getting asked on the weekends to go fly somewhere and talk about the truth behind trauma. Like what happens when soldiers come back from war? What really happens? And he has this alignment with the work he's doing at Tesla because it's exciting, 
and he has this alignment with the work that he's doing on the side, but he, it, it, for him, it was really an allurement, the, 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 the speaking work on the side. He loved going out and being the messenger of what he felt was going to be so important. So all of his work mattered. He was super successful. Everybody on the outside was like, Josh, you were the luckiest guy on earth. And at the same time, he doesn't feel so lucky because he feels empty, right? He's racing back and forth and not, he's got a foot in both speedboats and they're both going in different directions and he's exhausted all the time and he's left with doubt and, and, and questions about whether or not any of it is even making a dent. So he leaves Tesla and he goes upon this, this um, work speaking full time and he writes this incredible um, book, uh, which I would recommend, uh, I would recommend uh, uh, people uh, to read. And he has this incredible TED talk where he tells the story and he feels so much more aligned once he's actually in this space full time. And so even though he's sort of gone back and forth, he's now doing this work where he's spending all of his time taking that energy that he was using, building all these programs for Tesla and actually pursuing a PhD um, to help set up programs for, for, for um, not just veterans, but people who come out of, um, out of abusive relationships or addiction or anything that has given them any sort of trauma. And so he's completely changed what he's doing, but he's able to take the same energy and the same flow and the same dedication and put it towards a thing that actually matters to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's just proof right there too, where it's like, it's, it's like, you need to have like this, this mission and it's what your book's really about too. Um, Cause it, it, the vision as well, cause it, it, it makes your actions and your feeling towards actions different as well. Cause I, I would have to adventure to guess that anybody, let's just say Elon Musk, right, with his, his vision, um, it's so large that you almost can't even think transactional at that point because the vision's just too big. You know what I mean? It's just like trying to go to Mars or something, right? So it's just like if something, if you do something for somebody and they don't do it back, with a vision that big of going to Mars, you don't even have time to think about that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this, your mind field of expansion, if you will, is just it's so different. So I think too, it can kind of be the roots or the foundation um, is kind of like, can you sit down and, and think about what impact and what vision do you want to create that is, that is aligned with you? And then once you figure that out, all of your actions and feelings will be aligned with that. And then you really, all the little things like, did I get this back from this person, they all kind of just disappear inevitably. Yeah. Um, I mean, another story that I tell at the end of the book is Jack Lou. And if people listening recognize the name Jack Lou, it's because his signature's on some of your money. He's the former United States Treasury Secretary. Nice. Now, I happened to meet Jack Lou when we were both working in the White House together. And I was, you know, a 21 year old nobody. And he was like a 30 something year old, not that, not a total nobody, but not a big deal person. Um, he had worked for. For, um, for Tip O'Neill and uh, in Washington D.C. and then went back to Boston and was uh, working. Was it Boston or New York? In New York, and he was working in a, in a law firm there. And when he got a phone call from Eli Siegel, and Eli Siegel ran the Office of National Service um, for for Bill Clinton, and Eli asked him to come in and um, and write the legislation, which would eventually become AmeriCorps National Service Program in the United States, and more than a million eighteen to twenty four year olds have served. And um, when he decided he was going to go back and do this. His friend said, you are crazy, right? You are at this law firm. You're going to make partner. You're going to make all this money. Why are, you know, why would you give up this certain 
great thing that you have for this tiny program that doesn't even matter, that might not even pass Congress, that you know maybe no one had ever heard of before. And he said to me, I just decided I wanted to do interesting work with interesting people that I knew would look out for my best. And so he did. And we, he wrote the legislation. It became AmeriCorps. Millions of people have served. It's a proud part of, of all of our legacies. And through that, he got to meet Bill Clinton and he got to meet Hillary Clinton. And he became um, the chief of staff at the State Department when Hillary was um, was Secretary of State, and then he went on to become the head of the Office of Management and Budget, which is the you know organization that sets the entire federal government budget. And then he became uh, Chief of Staff for Obama, and then he became United States Treasury Secretary for Obama. Right, all of this because he said, you know what, I just want to go do interesting work with interesting people. There was no part of him that said, I'm going to go work for this tiny little program that might not even pass Congress because one day I'm going to be the United States Secretary of the Treasury. <laughs> like yeah. it just, so I think it just goes to show you that we, none of us have a crystal ball and none of us know where we're going, but we can be tenfold or a hundredfold more successful if we do work that's in alignment. Like, you know, those moments when the very best of who you are is being called upon to solve a problem that you actually care about and you're being rewarded for in a way, whether it's financially or karmically, that is interesting to you. Yes. Yep. Those are moments when you're limitless. And that's what he chose to do. That's what Josh chose to do. That's what all the people in my book chose to do, whether it was, you know, leaving a spouse or changing jobs or starting a new business or going back to school or whatever the things are that they, you know, Alison Levine went back up Mount Everest, right? <laughs> like you go up Mount Everest because she didn't make it up all the way up the first time because turning around in bad weather and making it back down alive was actually how she defined success, not getting to the top and dying, right? So, yeah. so you know, we all have these, these moments where we can either follow the path that's laid out by somebody else, right? Write the book because we just want to write the book, go, go speak because we just want to speak, or we can become messengers of, of, of our truth, right? Of the thing that we can't not say. I started my own business because I couldn't not do it, right? I was at this big fancy firm and I was making a lot of money and I was the youngest vice president and I was super successful and I hated it because I woke up one day and I realized I wasn't part of the solution. And if I, when I realized I wasn't part of the solution, it left me with only one realization that I was part of the problem. And for me, that was untenable. I couldn't not start my own company, right? I couldn't not write this book. I couldn't not get up on stage and speak about it, which is why when people see me on media or they hear me in podcasts or they read articles that I write or blog posts or whatever, they, they, they know that I'm in it. Like I'm in the muck and the dirt with them because I believe in it so deeply. And I think for your aspiring authors out there or people even who have written a book who are trying to figure out how to promote it, find the piece of it that you can't not talk about because that's the part that's going to be huge. Yep. And it's a, it's a completely just different way of feeling and living, uh, living as you can tell with this interview. So listen, I, I want to tell you, I appreciate you coming on so much. This has been so fun. And I know you shared like uh, three stories there. There's over a dozen in the book. Um, so tell us where, if people want to connect with you, what's the best place uh, for the book? I'm sure it's in all the stores and everything, but what's the best way for them to get the book and anything else that you'd like to mention? 
Yeah, so again, my name is Laura Gassner Odding. That's a lot of name. So uh, my friends call me LGO. I make it really easy for people. I am Hey, H E Y, Hey, LGO on all the socials. Um, HeyLGO.com is a shortcut to my website. And the book Limitless How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path, and Live Your Best Life is available at Barnes and Noble, um, on Amazon, on my website, anywhere fine books are sold. Um, and, uh, if you have listeners who are like, Adam, trying to figure out how to get unstuck, I actually created an assessment that people can go to at limitlessassessment.com. It's kind of intense. It takes about a good 15, 20 minutes. So strap in. But if people are <laughs> listening, they can tell that I'm kind of intense and let's face it. It's your life. You should be intense about it. So that's at limitlessassessment.com. But Hey LGO is the best. Hey LGO.com and Hey LGO on all the socials is the best way to find me. And hey, I think that's worth 15 or 20 minutes. So come on, guys, strap in. Um, I appreciate it again. And, and thank you very much for coming on the show. Excellent. Thank you so much.